Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. That I did something kind of unfair last week when I told you a story, I didn't tell you the resolution of it. So if you were here last week and if you remember the story, I was on a mission trip my sophomore year in college down to this tiny little island in the Caribbean called Nevis, just six square miles. And on the last day of our trip, we decided that we wanted to climb Mount Nevis, 3,000-foot mountain rainforest environment. We uh, didn't go with a guide. Uh, We were just kind of stupid, started walking up what we thought was a trail, ended up to not be a trail, and we were bushwhacking all the way to the highest point. And then uh, coming down, we followed this dry riverbed. And through a series of drops, found ourselves where we were uh, facing into a 50-foot drop uh, in front of us and a you know, 20, 20 foot uh, climb behind us, like just a cliff that we couldn't get back up. And the ravines were, uh, the sides of the ravine were just loose soil so that trees were getting pulled out if, and we were stuck. Didn't know what to do. And then I just kind of ended it there. Um, and didn't tell you like seven of our companions died. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that didn't happen. Um, so I'm just going to move on now. And, <laughs> um, well, okay, so we ended up, we formed like this human ladder up the side, and we would grab onto like thick trees and then hold each other and then uh, hold on and try and pass each other up higher through the trees, just praying that nobody would slip and go all the way back down. And we got to a place where we could then start to move forward, um, found ourselves stuck again and sitting there. And I remember in that moment thinking, God, what are we supposed to do? And then I heard Janelle fell. Um, and somebody had like taken off their belt and there was a little chasm that they were trying to swing across and she didn't quite make it, but they grabbed her and pulled her over. We ended up finding a whole bunch of weeds or like uh, low-lying vegetation. And we created this, I don't know if you remember... Gosh, what was it called? Romancing the Stone? Way back when? Like the mudslide kind of deal? Uh, We ended up kind of lying on our back and sticking our hand out into the vegetation to try and catch us as we slid down, thinking, oh, dear God, please, 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 please. And we got to the base of um, the riverbed again, and we were like, everybody's here? Okay, let's keep walking. And there were no more drops, and we walked out, and then we got to a marijuana field (laughs) with a hut. And somebody's in the hut, and we're like, he probably doesn't want visitors um, or solicitors. Like, this is not a good opportunity for evangelism right now. Everybody just be quiet. Try not to step on the crop. Um, and we, we walked out, and then we got yelled at bad by people uh, in our group who had not come. I said, you were so stupid. And we, I said, yes, you're right. Another one of my friends in the group said, we should make a T-shirt. And I, and I wasn't there yet. I kind of yelled at him, like, you need, to, you need to not right now. So that was the story. Sorry for leaving you hanging if you felt that. Um, we're, we're in a series right now. And today, I think it ties in today. Today we're going to look at, like, we're, we're stupid. Uh, we're dumb, and we need, we need God in the way he shows up as shepherd. And I don't mean that in a way to, like, like, just put us down or anything. But we need God, our shepherd. 
We need a God who will take care of us, who will watch out for us in the, in the decisions, sometimes the stupid decisions that we would make. A shepherd would say, no, come back this way. I want to lead you and I want to guide you. We're in a series that we're calling I Am. And it's all about how the Bible reveals the character and nature of God in the names of God. Not many gods, but one God with many names because these, every, every name of God revealed in the Bible reveals a different character quality of God. And so we started the series talking about Elohim. That in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. This mighty God, great and powerful God who's able to create everything. And then we went from there into the, the holy God. That God is completely different, altogether other than us. Not like us. And we need a God who is different from us. Because like, if I'm God, we're all in trouble. Right? If you're God, we're all in trouble. We need a God who's very, very, very different. And so we talked about the holy God. We talked about God who shows up to give a personal name in Yahweh. Or German translators end up translating it Jehovah. And we've uh, kind of bounced back between those. And it means I am always present. No matter if you're looking back in the past or where you are now or into the future, I am always present. I will always be there with you. And I'm giving you a name that you can call me personally. I am here with you. Last week we talked about uh, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provider, we talked about Abraham and Isaac and the sacrifice that God called for, but not really to test, to say nothing in my life comes before God. I won't put anything in my life up on an idol that takes the place of God. Not even relationships, not even the best relationships, a father-son relationship. And God says, I will always provide everything that you need. I will not always make it easy, but I will provide everything that you need, and we can rest in that. And this morning, we're going to talk about God, our shepherd, how he shows up. The kind of quintessential biblical text around God, our shepherd, is Psalm 23. We read it last week. We're going to read it again this morning. And I love the poetry that David is experiencing in his relationship with God as he calls God his shepherd. We're going to walk through Psalm 23 today. And kind of bit by bit talk about this shepherd relationship and the way that God reveals himself to us in that way. So if you have your Bible, you want to open up to Psalm 23, we're going to be there. We're going to put it on the screen and you can read along. Let's read this and pray and then jump in. Psalm 23 is a psalm of David. It reads, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. God, help us to know you. 
Help us to understand more of your character. That we would see you, that our response would be worship. Show us who you are through the pages of the Bible. And in so doing, show us who we are. Who am I because of I am? Father, we love you. Uh, thank you for this time. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. David starts out, the Lord is my shepherd. And if you are interested in the Hebrew names that we've been going through, like Elohim or Elohim Kedoshim or Jehovah Jireh or Yahweh or Jehovah, uh, the name here that he, uh, that he pulls out is uh, Jehovah Ra. The Lord is my shepherd. And it's, it's Yahweh Ra, right? So it's God's name, I am. And now it's connected to an attribute, Yahweh my shepherd. And that's the name that David is pointing out. And it, and it emphasizes this relationship of protection, of provision, and of guidance. Why, um, or what does that make David? If David says, God, you are my shepherd, what does that make David, uh, by inference? He's a sheep, right? David is saying, I'm a sheep. The character of sheep is that sheep go astray. Sheep are not known to be the most brilliant of animals. Actually, if you had a continuum of like dolphins or you know something over here, and like the like sheep are way down at the bottom. Sheep are dumb. Okay, sheep don't think a lot for themselves. They've been known to like nibble themselves off a cliff. They'll just eat and eat and eat, and then they're dead. Okay, or they eat so much they eat all the food. And then they don't know what to do. It's gone. So the shepherd has to take them to a new pasture uh, and find stuff. Or they'll eat all the good food, and then they'll just stuff, uh, start eating stuff that is not good for them. They'll poison themselves by what they're taking in. Sheep cannot take care of themselves. There's also easy prey. They're pretty defenseless. This is one of the most hilarious things for me. When I was living out in Colorado, I lived in Fort Collins. Fort Collins High School mascot they are the lambkins like we are the mighty lambkins they rush into the gymnasium like plowing through the tape and i can imagine the other schools just fearing them this is actually on their website they say our old mascot was a gentle lamb named leroy which i love they said more recently portrayed with the tough hungry face of clyde Okay, you can try. You're still Clyde the Lambkin, right? They're defenseless. They're easy prey. Sheep also have a tendency to panic. Sheep freak out. And then uh, they can have a panic attack and actually die from it. Or they can run and get lost and not, not know where they're going. Sheep need a shepherd, a sheep herder, right? They need that relationship if they're going to thrive. And David calls God his shepherd. David identifies as a sheep, and he says, I I am a mess on my own. God, I love that you meet me in this place. So now he'll start to describe, he'll go through and describe what he means by that. The Lord is my shepherd. What, What do you mean? What are you saying about your relationship? And he says... I shall not want. 
Now, this is a little bit of a strange wording for us because we would tend to say, I want this, or I want that, or I want that, and that's not really what he's getting at. He's not saying, I will not have desire. He's saying, I will have my desires met. I will be satisfied. That also isn't mean like every desire I can come up with, God is a vending machine, and he will provide that for me. I'm just going to stick 65 heavenly dollars in there, and it's going to come out with like really good Cheetos. God isn't that kind of, sorry, that's a bad illustration. I hadn't planned that one. Okay, you can tell. God isn't just a cosmic vending machine, but he meets me in a place where I find myself satisfied. I find myself full. I find myself not wanting because I'm good. That's the first characteristic when he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Yahweh is my shepherd. He says, he meets me in a place where I'm not longing anymore. I'm no longer starving and hungry and blind. I'm good. I'm okay. And it, that's, that's kind of the marking of their relationship. He says, uh, he makes me lie down. Now, I can read this as a parent of young kids, and I can like translate that in our house sometimes. Like, you will go to bed now. That's also not what David is saying. Like, he leads me to this place where I can lie down. He, he puts me down so that I can rest. This is not punitive. This is not discipline. This is, this is peace. Now, sheep, sheep, it's interesting. Sheep need four things for them to be able to lie down. A sheep will not lie down if any of these four things are present. They need freedom in four ways. Sheep need freedom from hunger. They need freedom from fear. They need freedom from friction. And they need freedom from pests. So if a sheep is hungry, they're never going to like just be settled. They're going to keep on munching, right? And so a shepherd has to take them to a place where they have adequate food and they can get their bellies full. And that's one of those four marks. Then a sheep needs freedom from fear. Cannot be fearing the wolves. Cannot be fearing predators. And the sheep, if it knows its shepherd is there, its protector is right there, does not have to fear and can, uh, can check one of those boxes and uh, move toward lying down. Sheep need this freedom from friction, which is like sometimes sheep butt heads. You've seen that. And uh, just in their group, the way that they relate with one another, if a sheep has tension with another sheep, they're not lying down, they're going to face off. But when the tension goes away, a sheep is able to lie down and then free from pests. Now for me, this in my study this week, this one was the grossest. And it was like the, oh, wow, oh, what is going on here? They need freedom from pests. So one of the pests that a sheep is vulnerable to is called the nose fly. I'm not going to go easy on you. A nose fly exists to land on the sheep's nose, crawl up in, lay its eggs in the mucous membrane, When the eggs hatch, they turn into little worm-like things and they crawl up into the head, right? Drives a sheep crazy. You can imagine. Some of you guys might be going crazy 
right now as I describe it. A, a sheep has all of these worm things crawling around in its head. A sheep will literally bash its head on rocks and kill itself because it's tormented and driven crazy by this pest. There are other things that go into sheep diseases. And what is incredible, what is incredible in what I learned is a shepherd has the ability to mix up uh, an oil concoction and spread it on the sheep's nose and head and the flies will not bother it anymore. So later on, when it says, you anoint my head with oil, I just thought that was like a kind of a Bible-y thing to say, right? <laughs> it's a shepherd thing to say. A shepherd will anoint its sheep with oil to keep the pests from burrowing in. And I found myself in this place of disgust and a place of awe in just looking at that relationship, knowing that, that this isn't just about a shepherd and sheep, right? This is about God and his people. And the way that God has the ability to protect people from the pests, and not pests in like the, eh, go away, but the stuff that will try and climb up in your head and mess you up. God can protect from that. If a sheep is free from those four things, has freedom from hunger, fear, friction, and pests, they can lie down. And so David is talking about the abundant life that he has because of his shepherd. When he says he, he makes me lie down, he leads me beside quiet waters. Like he's taking me to a place where it's not raging water, it's not violent water, it's water that I can not be afraid of, I can come up to it, I can drink, I can have my thirst satisfied. He is leading me there. And he's leading me in the paths of righteousness. Again, here, it's one of those, if you've grown up in church, righteousness means like doing the right thing. And we have a churchy connotation to the word righteousness. Righteousness here, like he leads me in paths of righteousness, can really just mean for the sheep. He leads me on right paths. It doesn't have to be anything more than that. The shepherd leads the sheep along right paths. Now, righteousness comes out of that, right? Doing the right thing, doing the good thing, following God in that. At its base, it's all about being led down the right path. And it's a path toward life. It's a path toward an abundant life. Not just doing the right things. A sheep follows its shepherd down the right path toward life. And that's what David is talking about. And he says, for his name's sake, like for God's name's sake. And this is all about the character of God. Because God is my shepherd. Because this is the very character of God. This is why God does this. He's not doing something outside of his character. He's not making an exception for me or looking down at me saying, oh, again, it's his nature to say this way. Keep coming. Keep coming. David talks about the abundant life, and he talks about the secure life. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So dry stream beds in the desert end up being real sandy, and there was lots of shadows. So you go from pasture, the greenness of the pasture, walking on a path of uh, shadow. A translation could be, 
even though I walk through the deepest shadow. That's sandy riverbed, desert kind of place. It's hot. It's arid. This is not pleasant to be in. I'm kind of spooked. This is actually uh, could be seen as a reference to the Jericho Road of the, the parable of the Good Samaritan where he's the road from Jerusalem to Jericho and how, it, how people were often uh, like thugs would hide in the rocks and then come out and beat people up. It's, it's an environment that, is, that induces fear. Like what, what's going on in that shadow? I can't see really over there. And he says, even though I walk through the deepest shadow, he says what? I don't have to fear. I will fear no evil because, because, because you are with me. My shepherd's here. I don't have to fear. God is there. He said, your rod and your staff comfort me. And this is another one of those rewrites. Your rod and your staff. We tend to like, if you've grown up in church again, like spare the rod, spoil the child, right? And that's not the reference that it is here. Your rod and they, your staff comfort. Often a shepherd would have kind of the staff was like a, a big tall walking stick. It's got the crook on it. Um, could be used to like uh, tap sheep, nudge them in the right direction. Sometimes probably uh, more than a nudge. They'd hit them probably to say, come on, let's go this way. If a sheep fell down, that, that crook could be used to grab the sheep pull them up into safety. It, it's a tool of protection, right? It's a tool of guidance. And then the rod was shorter, more like a billy club, mostly used in protection fighting off predators. So these are, these are instruments of guidance, provision, and protection that the shepherd has that he's able to lead his sheep with. And that's why he says, they comfort me because I know they're for my good. Protection and guidance, they're for my good. And then I don't know if David actually takes a step out of the shepherd's sheep uh, imagery here, because he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I'm not seeing a sheep walk up to a table. Um, I feel like chairs are at this table, or, you know, like, or they're sitting, but it's like, this is a people table now, and, and it feels like a little bit of a parenthesis. Say, like, by the way, This is pretty incredible what you do. We're walking through the deep shadow. I've got enemies all around, and you're not just letting me get by. You're preparing a banquet table for me. I am full right here in my presence. I watched a guy teach on this one time about almost like it's a mockery to my enemies because they want to attack me and beat me down, and I'm going to sit down for a meal right now because God has prepared it for me. In your presence, how strong is my enemy if I can sit down and eat when he's right there? Maybe very strong, but not stronger than my shepherd. My shepherd, my protector, my God says, go ahead and eat. I got this. Don't even worry. Don't even worry. He says, my cup overflows. You anoint my head with oil. And this is the protection, right? The... uh, they're going to uh, put oil on the sheep's nose or on the sheep's head and stop infection from spreading or have this barrier from the lies getting in. How many lies want to burrow into our heads where the shepherd would just say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to protect you from all that. Don't even focus on the lies. Don't even think about it. I got you. 
I, I am going to anoint you in a way that you don't even have to think about those things because I'm here, because I'm protecting you. So we don't have to think about the lies. We think about the shepherd protecting us. We think about the one who is always there with us, who's taking care of us, who is making us healthy. He says, my cup, my cup overflows or runneth over. Cup in the Bible is this beautiful metaphor for what has been given to me. What is the course of my life? How am I moving down? So when Jesus is in in the garden and he says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup be taken from me. He's actually saying, do I, I, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And I think Jesus is experiencing fear so much so that they say he's like he had, he sweat blood. He's popping capillaries and it's coming out of him. The fear and the anxiety in here. So if, if it's possible, let this cup pass. I, want, I don't want this. And yet, Father, I want to do your will. And so he does. And David has a very, very, very different cup experience. David says, my cup overflows. This is not a cup I want to pass, maybe only to share. This is a cup that I can't contain enough right now. I'm I'm filled to abundance and then some because God takes care of me so well that I don't need. The Lord is my shepherd, my protector, my provider, my God. And then God doesn't just uh, reserve the role of shepherd for God. God passes on the role of shepherd so that in the Old Testament, the leaders of his people, sometimes even kings, were referred to as shepherds. And in the Old Testament, the shepherds of God's people did not shepherd the people well. It didn't go well. So rather than protecting, providing, and guiding, God shows up in Jeremiah 23. I love the connect, like Psalm 23, Jeremiah 23. It makes it easy for me to remember. He says in the first two verses, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. Huge contrast, right? Incredible contrast between God who leads me beside still waters, who takes me to... Who, uh, leads me to green pastures. And he says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. And God has a harsh word for the people that he has set up to take care of his people. But he's not done. In verse 5, he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. God is saying, there is a time coming when I will provide a shepherd. I'll provide a good shepherd. I'll provide a king who will reign, who will lead as I am out of my own character. Coming out of David, who was a man after God's own heart, had a a character that God said, that is... That gets at my character. I love that. And out of David's genealogy, God is saying, I'm going to raise up a shepherd who will be good to my people. So when Jesus shows up in John 10, and he says, I am the good shepherd, 
this is a fulfillment. This isn't just kind of like, let me look for all kinds of different pictures that I could, I'm that and I'm this and I'm this. He's saying, you know the story. You know David experienced God as shepherd. And you know God set up shepherds to protect and provide and to guide. And you know that's not what happened. And then God said, I'm promising you, I will raise up a shepherd. I am that shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Jesus says in John 10, starting in 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So rather than being a shepherd who exercises authority as his uh, principal identity, like you you will bow down to me, the shepherd is one that serves the sheep. The shepherd is one that takes care of the sheep. The shepherd is one, Jesus says, that lays down his life for his sheep. He will put himself in harm's way for the sheep. Now, is he an authority? Absolutely. Can he tell the sheep where to go? Absolutely. But does he use that authority to hurt the sheep, to injure the sheep, to devastate the sheep? He never does that. The shepherd, the one in authority, uses the power to serve, uses the power to protect, uses the power to guide. And then the verse that Leslie read, John 10, 28, he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Like the shepherd has got you is what it's saying. Isaiah 53, 6 takes David and says, David isn't a solitary example. David is all of us. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. But in Jesus, we have a good shepherd who doesn't just say, I would, I would give my life for you. He says, I gave my life for you. I came so that I could guide and provide and lead you and take care of you. And I lay down my life for you. That's how much I love you. And said, and I know your name. I want you to know my voice. I want you to hear my voice. I know your name. We are sheep. On our own, we are not okay. And he came for you. Luke 15 has this beautiful parable, a string of three parables of the lost coin and the lost sheep and then the lost sons. And that middle parable right there is the parable of the lost sheep, how one sheep gets lost from the entire flock. And what does the shepherd do? Jesus, identifying himself as the shepherd, says, for one I go. If one sheep goes astray, I go for that one. And so Jesus as a shepherd does, has this simultaneous ability to care for the flock and care for the individual sheep. And I want you to hear that. Jesus cares for us, Damascus Road Church. Like, we as a flock, Jesus cares for us. And he cares for you. Like, individually, as one of the flock, he cares for you. He knows your name. And he's not saying, if you ever get lost, I will come for you. He's saying, I already came for you. I already came for you. 
And if you find yourself lost, I'm already there. I'm already there with you. I want you to know my voice. Do you know the voice of your shepherd? Do you know, Jesus, your good shepherd? How has he already provided for you? Because I, I, think, I think it's worthy of us of taking some time not just to say, how could God provide for me? I think that's great. He could blow our minds and our imaginations of how he could provide for us. But I think I don't want to miss us being able to say, he has already provided. How has he provided for you? How has he already guided you? How has he already protected you? And he will continue to do that because that's in his character. Remember the four needs of sheep that they need to lie down, right? The freedom from hunger, from fear, from friction, and from pests. I think that's true for us. If we're going to experience rest as sheep, as God's sheep, little lambkins, if we're going to experience true rest, we need freedom in those same ways. We need freedom from hunger. And I love this. I'm trying an experiment here, and you can tell me if this completely flops. But I'm taking a look at Psalm 23, and I want to lay over the top of it Matthew 6. And Jesus' prayer. When they say, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? I'm going to say, are there, are there parallels between David's poem of God as shepherd and when Jesus' disciples say, teach us how to pray? Well, this is how you pray. I, I think there are. You can tell me if I'm kind of off uh, my nut here. One, freedom from hunger. Jesus says, when you pray, he says what? Pray, uh, our Father in heaven, Abba, Daddy, our Father, that's the relationship we have with you. Okay, That's a caring, nurturing, guiding, protecting, um, providing kind of relationship, and it sets the stage. This, this is who I'm calling to, God, my Father. So your name is to be kept holy, and then he says in the first of the request, give us, give us today our daily bread, right? This is as I ask of you, God. I want your kingdom here, but will you provide? And when David says, like, you take care of me, like you lead me to green pastures, you lead me beside quiet waters, you give me a freedom from hunger. And Matthew 6, when he says, ask God to provide for you. Not so that you're a beggar, but because God wants to provide for you. Because God does provide for you. And when you ask, you will see his provision show up. God cares and he satisfies. So that we could find ourselves in a position that says, I don't want for anything. I'm not scraping by. I'm good. Jesus says, I'm free from fear because you, Abba, are with me. You are with me. If I go through the deepest shadow of hard times, that God is with me, right? You have a God who wants to be there, who is there, who wants us to recognize him as being there. And that's, that's the position that Jesus tells us to pray in. Freedom from friction, if you go, uh, if you move on in the prayer, he says, forgive us our debts. 
Uh, other translations would say our trespasses or our sins, right? Forgive us when we sin against other people and when we sin against you, God. And as we forgive those who have debts against us or trespasses or sins against us. And so we get to the friction, right? Because we got all kinds of friction with each other. Christians, people in general, and Christians are not exempt, are bad at conflict resolution. We're good at conflict. We're good at conflict. We're good at finding ourselves in conflict. We're good at butting heads. We're good at fighting. We're good at, uh, I think, sometimes defending ourselves and like pushing away. We're not always, I would say maybe rarely, are we good at conflict resolution or reconciliation. Forgive us our debts as we forgive. The sheep needs freedom from friction. And Jesus offers a change in our relationships. So the question in this freedom from friction bit, in the forgiveness bit, is have you hurt somebody? I think you start there. Have you hurt somebody in your words or in your actions? And what would it look like to move down the path toward reconciliation? Which starts with acknowledging what you did and starts with saying, I'm I'm sorry for what I did. And taking a look at what went into why you did that. Not just feeling bad and then like heaping up guilt and shame and staying there, but like recognizing sin and saying, I don't have to stay that way. With Jesus as my shepherd, I don't have to stay. I'm not trapped in sin, but it's worked its way in and there is friction and I need to deal with it. And so how can I walk this out? And forgiveness starts with me if I'm the offender. And then the second question is, has somebody hurt you? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us, who have debts against us. If somebody has sinned against you, and I'm not going to talk about um, move toward forgiveness if like, there's just uh, ongoing abuse. Like, just, I'm just going to go with it because Jesus wants me to forgive. That's not good. That's not what I'm talking about. But in the everyday, day-to-day, and sometimes even in profound ways, we hurt each other. People hurt us. And we need to be people who will reach out uh, and extend a hand of forgiveness. Because that's what God did. While we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. Like We weren't even asking for it. We, weren't even, we didn't even acknowledge that we were in the wrong at that point. And Jesus says, I'm already, I'm already giving myself for you. Forgiveness hurts the one forgiving. I don't want you to think that it's dreamy. I don't want you to think that it's a fairy tale. Forgiveness hurts. You have to swallow something and you have to reach out to somebody who did something to you. And that hurts but you recognize we're in a place of forgiveness because we've been forgiven. Because we extend what we have already received. Don't try and cook up forgiveness on your own. If you are not, if you are not walking in a relationship with Jesus, if you haven't experienced your own forgiveness, I think you'll try really hard at forgiving others, and I don't know that you'll be successful. I think forgiveness is made possible when we're not under the heavy load needing forgiveness ourselves when we already recognize that we've been forgiven. 
and then freedom from pests, right? Little nose flies that want to uh, drive their way up into our heads. Jesus says, deliver us from evil. You know, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. And, uh, and I think there's an anointing that happens where God anoints us as a way of protection and says, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. God, if we look at, in the Old Testament shows up a shepherd and Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. The Holy Spirit, I think, has this shepherding role by anointing us, by coming and saying, you don't have to worry about the pests anymore. I've got you covered, right? I've got you covered. You don't have to worry. You don't have to think about it. I've got you. And we can trust in that because God is our shepherd We can lie down. We can be satisfied. We can be led down the right path and we can spend our days with him. Know that you can trust God as your shepherd. We're sheep and he is our shepherd. But also, also, kind of a final point here. As God has, in the Old Testament, established shepherds so that God's people would be taken care of. God is still doing that today. So in Acts 20, uh, verse 28, the elders of the church are actually called you know, shepherds of overseers of the church and it said the Holy Spirit made you that. The elders of the church are not, are not meant to be uh, powerful authority, um, beat you into submission kind of things. Elders of the church are intended to be good shepherds. I want you to know we love you. We care about you. We want to protect the church. And not just protect the church from bad stuff in this like weird fear-based kind of way. But to lead the church faithfully and to lead the church well. And I'll tell you for myself and I'll tell you for the rest of the elders. We see ourselves as servants. We see ourselves as wanting to take care. Not in a patronizing way, but in a serving, getting on our knees, helping kind of way. And if you need anything, like, that's what we're supposed to be here for. Like, you shouldn't fear walking up to an elder and saying, "Can I got to talk. Will you pray with me? We, that's, that's why we're here. And I, also, and I also say, I don't think that's restricted to like formal elders. The Holy Spirit in you, he's given you a shepherding role in the life of his body, in the life of his church. So just as God has, uh, just as God reveals himself as a shepherd to you, I think the Holy Spirit in you makes you a shepherd for others. So who has God called you to take care of? Parents, you are shepherds for your kids. You are meant to provide and lead uh, and guide them and to take care of them, right? Parents are shepherds for kids. There are all kinds of people that I think you have a, you have a special place in their life and you need to wield that power in a way that is shepherding, in a way that's caring. I'm so thankful for the long line of shepherds in my life. Paul and Sherry and Bill and Eric and Tim and Mike and Denny and Dave 
can all have been shepherds to me. People who have invested in my life. You've got people who are like that for you. And you need to step into that as well for others. My dad recently just took a trip uh, to the Twin Cities. He lives in Fond du Lac. He drove uh, four, four and a half hours over to the Twin Cities for lunch to sit down uh, with the man who led him to Jesus. Sit down for lunch with Paul and just say, I drove here to say thank you. That's my agenda. I want you to know what a difference you made in my life. And I just want to say thank you. And now I'm going to drive home. And the man said, nobody has ever given me a gift like that. You have people in your life who have poured into you. Say thank you. It's powerful. It's powerful. Uh, Two kind of final notes. If you've been online this week uh, or recently, you may have noticed the Me Too campaign that's going on. Um, Women who are standing up in force to tell their stories of sexual harassment and abuse. And um, ladies who are kind of like finding the courage within to say, Me Too, this happens to me. This is not an isolated event. This happens over and over and over and over. And in this... In a similar way to the Old Testament shepherds that were supposed to be shepherding and were not. And God says, no, that's not right. I think that's what's going on in our day. God calls us to be shepherds. God calls us to take care of people. And we are not. And we need to do a better job. We need to do a better job. And we need to face into it. So many people are getting beat up. So many women especially are not being taken care of by men. And again, not in a patronizing way. Abuse is just wrong. And men need to grow. Women need to grow. Men need to grow. Grow up. Do not abuse another human being. I, the Me Too campaign, I'm glad that people are sharing their story. It's horrifying that there are so many stories. If we pick up our role, recognize God as our shepherd, and we start being shepherds for other people, it takes care of that. It moves against that. It fights against that. And then just a final note. If you are in your 50s or 60s or 70s or 80s, We need you. In our 20s, uh, all the way up to the 20s, we're asking, who am I? I don't even know who I am. I'm trying to figure me out. What is my identity? And in our 20s, we have different questions going on that are like, wow, what can I do with my life? I I have all this potential, and I could, like, lean in. And in our 30s, we start to say, how do I make, how, how do I do it all? I got all kinds of responsibilities and I don't know what I'm doing. And in our 40s, we're like, do I even want to do this? Like, what's this? What is going on? And by the time we get to our 50s, we get to a place where there is a power and there's a bank account of wisdom of having walked a certain amount of life. And that's where our real shepherds are. 
Like that's where the that's where we will find people who are in a position to be shepherds. If you don't have relationships with 50, 60, 70, 80-year-olds, get them. Find them. Ask them to pour into you. Because they are likely in a place where they have wisdom to share. And so often, people uh, in those 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s feel like, who is this younger generation that's just pushing me away and wants me to go sit in a rocking chair? Older people, we need you. We need your wisdom. We need your shepherding. We need you to stand up and take care of us. And not just do that in some kind of infantile way. We need you and your strength. And I'm so grateful for you. I want to end there. I want to I just have a, a time of thanksgiving in prayer. Um, it, especially for our older people. For the shepherds in our midst. Who... Um, who we are incredibly grateful for. Um, let's take some time and pray, thanking God for him being a shepherd, thanking God for the people who have shepherded us, and thanking him for the shepherds in our midst. And then we'll continue in worship. Let's pray. Father, you reveal yourself as a shepherd. You are strong and mighty. You're the creator of everything, and you are awesome awe-inspiring. You are holy and completely different from us. And yet you're personal. You look at us and you know our name and you care and you come to find us. You take care of us. You provide for us. You guide us. You protect us. Now we thank you for that. We thank you for the shepherds in our own lives. And Father, would you well up in us a gratitude that is able to say thank you. Help us find the people in our lives who have poured into us and thank them for the role that they've played, for who they are. And Father, right now, for the older generation, for the people in our body in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, we just say thank you for them. We thank you for the roads that they have walked, the wisdom that they have gained, the way that they walk with you. Would you continue to fill them in this second half of life? Would you give them great purpose and great leverage and great strength to shepherd us? Give us eyes of humility to look to them We love you, God, our shepherd. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.